Welcome to the Eastview Baptist Church Teaching Podcast. In our three-week series titled, What is the Gospel? We explore the concept and the theme of how to defend our faith in a world that is searching for answers. We hope that you'll enjoy this teaching series. If you will, please like, share, subscribe, leave a brief comment to help make this resource more readily available to those you love. Thank you. God bless. How are you doing this morning? You know, I always ask you twice, right? I ask you once while the kids are out here. And it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> some of y'all perk up a little bit when the kids are gone. Right? I, I, I came and did something a little bit different this morning. And for that, that, that last song... I came and switched my angle just a little bit. He said, what do you mean? And I came and, I came and switched up the position uh, that I was sitting in for worship. See, I, I, I normally I like to, uh, to submerge myself in, right, and, and really experience worship with everyone else. But I grew up even more so in a a very traditional uh, Baptist church. Very traditional. And it's amazing for me uh, to kind of be able to sit and see the progression, right? That people realize as the years progress, like you can be excited in church. You, you can actually be excited in church. And, and not only can you be excited in church, you should be excited in church. I wish that every single adult in this room could have, could have been uh, from my standpoint and seen how much we can learn from the kids. I, I don't think that there's any... This is not where I intended to go with this, but again, God just kind of called me to do something a little different. And I sat from a different point of view to to be able to to see what our our atmosphere of worship looks like. And let me tell you something, the kids didn't disappoint. They were excited. I don't think there's any... There should come as no surprise why Jesus often brought the little kids and said, if we could just, if we could have faith like them, if we could worship like them, y'all, they were clapping. They didn't know the words. They were clapping and they were excited and they were happy because they felt it. Let me just tell you something real quick. In the garden, you know what our original sin really was? It was pride. We, in the garden, saw ourselves as God. We, in the garden, decided, under our own, uh, our own fruition, we decided that we were like God. God had one rule. Anybody remember what the rule was? 
Like, don't eat that. It's pretty simple. So simple that a child could understand it. And yet adults couldn't grasp it. Our worship is the same thing today. Family? It's so simple that children can enjoy it. And yet we as adults, whether it's pride, whether it's whatever it is, we've got to shake these dry bones. We have to decide to build an atmosphere of worship. It's a decision that has to be made. Today we begin uh, to really dive into what it is that the gospel is. And in the past two weeks or so, I've, I've really I've asked people, right? And if I, it starts like this. You know what the gospel is? And they inevitably, well, yeah. Yeah, I know what it is. Well, what is it? Thumbs up, Pastor. Woo! That's what you're for, right? It is our, that is a gift that we're given to be able to understand what the gospel is. Today, just like little children, we're going to begin to explore what is the gospel. For me to get us there, I got to get us to flip in our Bibles really quick to Luke chapter 24. So if you've got your Bible with you, I hope that we're 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 recreating a culture where people like look guys, I get it. The phone Bible is like it's convenient. There is no substitute for this. Amen. There's no substitute for this right here. So once you have a Bible and there's Bibles in a lot of the pews in front of you, once you got a Bible or if you got the phone, no shame in it. I'm just saying, like my personal preference is there's no substitute for this. Maybe you like the electronic. You go, you go for it. Whatever God calls your heart to. But once you've got Luke chapter 24, if you will, stand with me. Even if you don't actually have it and you can stand, just, just stand with us. Right? So Luke, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 24... We're going to pick up at the end at verse 44. This is Jesus, of course, speaking to us. And He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. That is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. So we have to understand the whole thing. And then Jesus does what only Jesus can do. Look at verse 45. Then He opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. Why is verse 45 important? Because you're coming off of the story of the strangers on the road to Emmaus. And they couldn't see Jesus even when Jesus was right with them. So he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scripture. In verse 46, he told them, this is what is written, that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, 
you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I'm going to pray for us really quick. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful to be able to gather, Lord, and just hear your word together, Lord. I just pray that through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would enlighten in our minds and our hearts your word today, Lord, and allow us to take from this exactly what it is that you intended for each and every single individual person. We pray these things in your heavenly glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So in this final bit of Luke, what I've got to get you to understand, the end of this Gospel of Luke, the end of, uh, of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the end of those Gospels are all happening simultaneously with what you see at the beginning of the book of Acts. Why is that important? Because we're going to begin in a few weeks to study the book of Acts. And here we have Jesus, ultimately the the most in uh, verses 46 and 47. We have Jesus unveiling to us what is the gospel. And again, I've, I've kind of tested this and I've asked people, do you know what the gospel is? And they're like, "Mm, yeah, whoo. So what is it? It's hard to explain words. They slip past me. I don't want us to be in that position. Because a non-believer is quick to try and tell you what the gospel is not. The only way that you can defend your faith is to adequately know what your faith is and what it is that you believe. So in doing so, I've got us, if you've got a, a printout in front of you, I've got us three definitions of the gospel. And... One is what is called a scholarly definition. We're just going to glean off of that. We're going to use it for the highlights. Because there's going to be wording and terminology here that might be a little bit beyond what we understand. So this word gospel means good news or a message. And everybody remember, don't hold this against me. I'm not a singer. I'm a proclaimer of the word, okay? You guys remember at Christmas time, there's a certain hark the herald angels sing. Y'all remember this, right? So what does this mean? It means that a messenger would come before and proclaim the word of God. Jesus is coming, Emmanuel, God with us, right? So what you also have to understand in this time, Rome is super powerful. Like, bigger than the U.S. I know, guys, that hurts to hear but bigger than the U.S. They lasted longer and they fell. Hold that. We're not some undefeatable power. We've actually abandoned the message of what it is that God called us to do by coming together as a nation and and celebrating Him. Now we've taken Him out of everything and wonder why society looks like hell in a handbasket. Because we took God out of it. A nation that was funded was, was founded on the fundamentals of our belief that God is who He said He was. And we've abandoned it. So what you have to understand is a herald also in this time of Rome would have been a guy that came before and said, 
So Caesar's coming. That was his whole job, right? He, that is a euangelion. He is proclaiming a message. The king is coming. What we, did, what we don't understand is this was stolen. God sent his angels to proclaim that Jesus was coming. And still to this day, we are to proclaim a message that Jesus is once again coming. So euangelion, in other words, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the message of God's salvation. That is a noun, right? So hold on. Euangelizma. Uh, this is the verb form to actually proclaim the message. Uh, in your, in your uh, tradition, you may know it as discipleship, evangelism, depending on your school of, of thought. You might know it as spiritual formation. It, all these are the same concept of actually going and building a faith. The good news is a faith that is founded on a foundational bit of information that Jesus put it with three steps here in Luke chapter 24. That the Messiah will suffer. And we know this in terms of Jesus, that He will not just suffer, He'll be betrayed, He'll be abandoned, He'll be beaten to the point of death. So that's the step one of the Gospel, is that the Messiah will come and He will suffer on our behalf. Step two, the Messiah, the same one who comes, suffers on our behalf, is beaten, takes on our sin, will rise from the dead. He will be brought to new life. So He will rise from the dead on the third day. So Jesus takes it a step further. right? In, 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 the, in the, the book of prophecy, we, we see it prophesied often that this Messiah... Would, would rise from the dead. And Jesus, again, takes it a step further and He says, I'm going to do it on the third day. And what, we, what we're seeing here is Jesus, after He's resurrected, resurrected, proclaiming this good news, right? What it means. What you have to understand is this is not the first time that Jesus has proclaimed this message. He regularly proclaimed it to not just His apostles, those closest to Him, His disciples and all Jews who would hear His message. In very public settings. Again, why are we struggling as a nation? Because we have abandoned the gift given freely from God to proclaim His name in very public settings. An atheist is very public in proclaiming that they don't believe there is a God. And we as Christians have become bashful in proclaiming the good news of our Savior and we wonder why. Society looks the way that it does. This euangelion, right? This gospel, it occurs very frequently in the New Testament. Very frequently, both in the noun and verb form. I told you, this was not a message that was new to Jesus after he died. He was proclaiming it boldly while he was still here. The word euangelion actually appears uh, 75 times in the New Testament. 
the good news. 75 times. The verb form, euangelizomai, it occurs 56 times in the New Testament. Now, forgive me, I got a belt in public school education, but that's well over a hundred times, right? And I know y'all are proud. You're like, I couldn't do the math in my head either, but I know it's more than a hundred. You preach, preacher, right? So we have now the everybody else definition of the good news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus would come and live a sinless life to die in exchange for the lives of all sinners. All sinners He would die for. And He would give new life to those who would call on His name and invite them into their hearts. And just a little bit, we're going to see baptism. And... These are folks who have made the very private uh, relationship built with, with Jesus that He is their Savior. They've made a public proclamation and they're going to make another one here in just a few minutes. We're going to ask them very clearly, who is your Lord and Savior? They're going to proclaim in front of this people and for all nations, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're sitting here right now. And again, I told you, we could learn so much from following the example of children. The most willing and the most public with their, their faith and this, I want to be baptized, was children. Guys, children came to me. There's something to be learned from that. What's going on around us is our fault. It's my fault. It's your fault. It's our parents' fault. It's our grandparents' fault. We have allowed this position to occur. It will be solely reliant upon the same children that you're going to see come and get baptized to turn things around. If we want to see this be a Christian nation once again before it's too late, we're going to have to rely on the faith of people just like little Sophia. Just like little Harper. Just like little Isla. Who came and said, I want to be baptized. The children. Their faith is commendable. We've got to do better. This is a charge, family. I'm tasking us with the responsibility to learn from these children. To have our faith like these children. Good news is the fact that Jesus would come, die our death, rise again from the dead, and that we could preach His name, which is for all sinners, to repent from their sin, to leave it in the past, 
and choose to follow Him. I, I had uh, the, the privilege recently to kind of help a new Christian along their next steps. And he said, where does, where does repentance come in? And I said, every single day. Jesus was very clear that we must leave our sins behind daily carrying our cross and following Him. Where, where, where does repentance? It's not a one-time thing, guys. It's every single day for the rest of our lives. Adults, we can learn from these kids. This wasn't intended to be some sort of a youth service. This was just me feeling the call of God, coming and witnessing it firsthand and seeing that the children are leading this church. I pray that the Holy Spirit breathes heavily on you today and that you get a charge from these kids as they teach us how to be the church. Very clearly, we have the gospel according to Jesus. Jesus told us back in Mark chapter 1, and I like to emphasize, this, was the, the, this is Jesus' opening statement in the, the book of Mark. It's Mark chapter 1. And Jesus' opening statement comes fresh off of 40 days of fasting, fresh off of 40 days of prayer. Alright, everybody, you with me for a second? Fasting's hard. It's real hard. Prayer is a, it's a, it's a better place to start, right? If we're, we're trying to get our spiritual life in check, start there. As you get in depth in your prayer life, if God places that call on your life to fast, then you fast. It, it won't look like, I, I can almost assure you, 40 days, but it may start with each week skipping a meal. And in that time when you would normally be eating that meal, going to the Lord in prayer. But it all starts in the same place, our prayer life. That's one of the values that we have to instill into this church. Our private prayer life. Why? Because this church can't grow until we are a praying people. God will work through you mightily when you commit your life to prayer. So in the book of Mark, again, this is Jesus' first proclamation in the Gospel of Mark. Again, this word gospel is euangelion. So this is, the book of Mark, is the good news according to the Apostle Mark. Every single day of your life, you are writing the gospel of yourself. Do you ever think about that? you ever realize that? Each day of your life, you are writing the gospel of Keith. You're writing the gospel of Bethany. You're writing the gospel of Monica. The gospel of Greg. And other people see your life. Whether you realize that, whether that, that idea really comes through and resonates with you or not. People see your faith. 
So Jesus, again, fresh off of 40 days of fasting, 40 days of prayer, and 40 days of being tempted by Satan, is sent into public ministry with the beheading of John the Baptist. John the Baptizer would say that he's not the Savior, right? He's just the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. In other words, he is a messenger of the Gospel that the Messiah, the Savior, is coming. Each and every single one of us have the same responsibility. Very publicly proclaim that Jesus is coming. So in the book of Mark, uh, verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. In the Greek, euangelizomai, right here. right. So one of, uh, again, one of 56 occurrences that we see this occur. Verse 15, The time has come. Church, we still stand in that promise. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Again, the very the foundation and the basis of Jesus' gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Euangelion. One of seventy-five occurrences. It's a very common theme. It's a very common premise. And it is something that we in our own words need to be able to express and explain. You can tell me exactly why you love Clemson Tiger football, but you can't explain to us the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you can explain to us in depth tax law. But you can't explain what it is that Jesus Christ came and did. And yet we claim that we are Christians. We can learn from the kids. heartbroken that we've let things get to this place. We are all called by God. We are all set apart by Jesus Christ. I pray that you repent and turn your heart before it's too late. I'm going to pray for us really quick. And then I have a couple of people who are going to come forward and they're they're going to ask that we would invite them into this family to be members of this church. Right? What's going to happen is While they are all getting ready upstairs for baptism, uh, I've got one of our deacons, he's actually going to come. 
Uh, and we're going we're gonna to vote this, these, these three people in. If you're here right now, I pray that you would follow their example. If you are not already plugged into this family, plugged into this church, plugged into a family of local believers, follow their example. I'm going to pray for us really quick and then we'll, we'll, we'll invite them up. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful, Lord, to be able to gather in Your name, God, that we are living in a nation, we're living in a time, Lord, when this is no longer promised, Lord. There are nations that are persecuted for their belief in You, God. And we just pray that before this nation becomes one like those, God, that we would truly repent, Lord. That we would repent of our sin. That we would repent of casting You out of our schools, out of our businesses, and most importantly, out of our homes, God. I just pray that You'll use this people, God, that You would steer our hearts and that the Holy Spirit would come over this people, God, and just start to work on their lives, Lord. We just pray that You'll use each and every single one of us. In Jesus' name, Amen.